Hi everyone. Welcome to episode four of Sisters Coffee and Crime. I'm Sandra. And I'm Christina. This is the story of the Richardson family. Mark, Deborah, and their son Jacob were brutally murdered on the night of April 23rd, 2006. But where is their daughter? Was she the fourth victim or is there something much worse that no one was expecting? Join us while we tell you about this sad tale of the Richardsons. On April 23, 2006, in Medicine Hat, Alberta, a little boy went to the Richardson house to play with eight-year-old Jacob. But no one was home, or so he thought. He looked through one of the windows, and this poor child made a gruesome discovery. There, he saw the bodies of Deborah and Mark Richardson. Authorities were notified, and thus begins the tragic tale of the Richardson family. Deborah was 48 and Mark was 42. They had two children, Jacob, age 8, and their daughter, who was 12. Um, all of her, like her name and everything, was taken out of the Canadian media. They referred to her as JR. Okay. But it's out there, it's everywhere, so obviously we can say it. Her name was Jasmine Richardson. Okay. I looked at pictures of the Richardsons. And I have to tell you that they look like a typical family. Happy, loving, together. There are some beautiful pictures out there, but nothing is as it seems in a small glimpse of a picture. Their daughter, Jasmine, who was only 12, was in a relationship with a 23-year-old man, Jeremy. Oh, okay. Yes, and not surprisingly, their parents had a problem with this relationship. Well, and I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't want to call it a relationship. That's just... No, he's a pedophile? Yeah. I mean... They call it a relationship, and it's dealt with as a relationship, but she's 12. She's not... Right. Even at age of consent, I don't believe this is a relationship. Right. Okay. It was the cause of many arguments in the Richardson house. No one was happy. Jasmine's parents and even Jasmine's friends had issue with their relationship. Well, of course, they're little kids. They're 12 years old. Yeah, but, you know, when your other 12-year-old friends have a problem with it, right? like, good for those 12-year-olds who are yeah, saying that, because sure. sometimes you could just think it's cool. Oh, she has an older boyfriend sure. or whatever. But even they knew that something is something wrong. Something was wrong. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about them as a couple, and I'm using quotes around couple. Yes. It was thought that they met, they met online, uh, Jeremy and Jasmine both had accounts on vampirefreaks.com. What? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? That is a website for people who are living sort of a vampire lifestyle to meet. And... Okay. So this 12-year-old was on that. Yep. Uh, he, Jeremy actually told his friends that he was a 300-year-old vampire. And he enjoyed the taste of blood. He even went as far as wearing a vial of blood around his neck. Okay. Just let that sink in. And anyhow, his friends will say that Jeremy and um, Jasmine actually met at a punk show. Okay. Now, a lot of the research and all, there's a lot that goes into this story, but... It always comes back to this lifestyle of punk music is what influenced the murders. 
Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay. So just like when in the past where we say video games have caused... Right. Okay. I, I'm not going to talk about this. I don't think that music influences killer thoughts. I think that maybe it can influence the way you dress or your makeup or whatever, but I really don't think that it made them murder anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, Jasmine and Jeremy did have many conversations online. They were both on a website called Nexopedia, which is a popular website for young Canadians. I feel like in 2006, I was a young Canadian, but I... <laughs> I've never heard of this. No, me either. Okay. I mean, I was definitely younger than I am now, but I've yeah. never heard of it either. Messages were public on the site until the webpage took them down, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jasmine's page said that she was 15. And even if Jeremy believed that she was 15 when they met... As a 23-year-old, even if she's 15, their relationship is still no. beyond wrong. Yeah, it is. Be- yeah. Jasmine's page also stated the quote, welcome to my tragic end. Oh, wow. Yeah. One of their messages, Jasmine, who went by Runaway Devil, wrote to Jeremy and his like handle was Soul Eater. So this is one of their messages. This is Jasmine writing to Jeremy. Quote, I hate them, so I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. End quote. Here's Jeremy's 23-year-old man's response. Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with, like, details and stuff. End quote. Wow. I know. This, this one, actually, this whole case gave me a little bit of a headache. Yeah. I, it sounds like it. I can't. When the investigation starts, it goes from police thinking that Jasmine is possibly the fourth victim. They think, like, maybe someone took her. Right. To believe, like, they go through her room and they go through her computer and they realize really quick that they need to find her because She's she knows part. what happened or she yeah. has taken part in this. Right. Well, because with those discussions, I guess they saw... The online chat? That she wanted to kill her parents. Here's what police walk into. In the basement, they found Deborah at the bottom of the staircase with 12 stab wounds. Mark was also found in the basement, and he fought for his life using a screwdriver. Ultimately, he was stabbed 24 times, including a stab wound to his back. And 8-year-old Jacob, he was found in his room on a blood-soaked bed with his throat slashed wide open. The crime scene was gruesome. There was blood everywhere, and there was even bloody handprints on the walls. The police catch up with Jasmine and Jeremy the following day in Leader, Saskatchewan, uh, with some friends in a pickup truck. While in custody, Jeremy will admit to an undercover agent all about the murders and what happened. And this will come out at trial. Police use the Mr. Big tactic. They have an undercover agent go and gain his trust and basically tell him that for protection in prison, that if he discloses everything, that they'll protect, they'll him. protect him and they'll help him out. 
So Jeremy says that before the murders, he drank a 2-4 of beer, drank a bottle of vampire brand wine, and consumed a gram of cocaine. Right. Jeremy likes the taste of blood, so much so that his friend once baked him sugar cookies with blood in them. What do you mean with blood in them? <laughs> like from someone or yeah, an animal? or From human blood. Here's the quote. When they came out of the oven, they were pink. That's how much blood he put in them. Oh, that's so End gross. End quote, yeah. That is so gross. Okay. He said that before committing the murders, he watched Natural Born Killers with his friends. And he tells them that Jasmine and him should carry out the plan, their plan, the same way, but not spare the brother. He later told the undercover agent, you ever watch Natural Born Killers? I think it's the best love story of all time. This guy is such a cliche. It's hurting my head. So Jeremy goes to the Richardson house. He puts on a black mask and he sneaks into the family home. He kills the family. Now, Jeremy did try to get his friends to help him with the murders. In fact, two of them testify against him at trial. Jordan Atfield will testify that Jeremy asked for help and he flat out refuses. Jeremy says that if he gets caught, he's going to put the blame on Jordan and some of his other friends. <laughs> this guy's a piece of work. James Whaley also testified that Jeremy said he gutted them like fish. There was an underage witness, and obviously we don't know her name, mm -hmm. that says Jasmine and Jeremy smiled while watching coverage on the murders. Like, on the news. And we don't know who who she is or he is, this, uh, this underage No, because person. they're underage, they're... Right, so we don't know if it was, like, a friend of hers or another In person the that they were hanging out with. Okay. I'm guessing a friend of hers if he's underage. Unless Jeremy right. has multiple underage friends. I mean, I mean he's I dating an underage girl, I don't right, know. Right, I wouldn't but... put it past him, so... Jeremy says that he killed Deborah and Mark, but not Jacob. Jeremy tells the undercover agent about this murder. In a conversation, he says, You hear about that triple homicide? Yeah, you're looking at him. Me and my old lady have become legends. He goes on to tell the agent that Jasmine slit Jacob's throat. He says it didn't bother her at all. It didn't bother her at all either. In fact, the next day when we were on the road effing, she was laughing about it. She's got a few screws loose, too. End quote. That's disgusting. It is. The Crown will say that Jasmine was the motive and Jeremy was the means to the killing. The Crown tells the jury that the motivation was rage at the parents because they were trying to stop them from dating. And I hate that they even legitimate, like they make it seem like this relationship is legitimate and that he's not a pedophile. Right. Jacob was killed um, because he could identify both, both Jeremy and, yeah. and Jasmine. The Crown also tells the jury that Jeremy says Mark's last word was why. And Jeremy told the undercover agent, because your daughter wanted it that way. He'll also tell the agent that Jasmine and him are supposed to get married in a gothic ceremony and move to Germany. Okay. 
So that's basically the crown story and what they found between friends and the couple and the online messages. And a lot of it, I mean, there's pages upon pages upon pages of this undercover Mr. Big operation that you can go through. Oh, okay, yeah. So here's a little bit of the defense to the crimes. From Jeremy, um, he said that it was impulsive and it was brought on by the drugs and the alcohol. He claims that none of this was premeditated, which just reading a little bit of their messages, we know it was definitely premeditated. Right. Plus he had two friends that came forward. Right. That said that it was premeditated, that he tried to get help. Right. So when Jeremy was talking to the undercover agent, he was only trying to get a better prison reputation. Like that's why he says that he said all those things, but none of it's true. That's what he contends. Okay. They explain that the online messages by saying that Jeremy was a young man with no self-esteem who finally found someone to love him. That's disgusting. It, it actually makes me sick that someone would defend this. Yeah. They put May, who is Jeremy's mother, on the stand. And she talks about abuse that Jeremy went through at the time at the hands of her ex-husband and her lovers. She told the the jury that Jeremy said he wished he was never born. That makes me sad a little bit if he wasn't a murderer. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, yeah. If he had like a a crappy past and felt that way, but he didn't actually murder an entire family, you might actually have sympathy for him. Right. Like no one should go through that. No, no one should go through that. But no. But that's not a reason to kill people either. Right, exactly. So Jeremy and Jasmine are both found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. And I hate this so much, but Jeremy is serving his three counts concurrently. Of course. Because they all happened in the same place. Another person was charged in this crime. Her name is Casey Lancaster. She was 19 years old at the time. She was charged with accessory. She drove the couple away from the house in her pickup and helped dispose of evidence. Her charges were dropped and she pled to obstruction. She received one year of house arrest and ordered to refrain from drugs and alcohol. I don't know how they came up with that. Came up with that or even why they dismissed the charges? Did she not did she claim that she didn't know what she was doing? I think it was more of like if you testify against them. Right. Type well, of deal. Okay. So Jasmine, she was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, but she's 12. Right, so she was a minor at the time. She was a minor at the time. For somebody her age, the maximum sentence that she can get is 10 years. Oh, that's so gross. Okay. Which she got. The, they gave her the maximum. Okay, which would make her 22 if she went complete, right? Right. But when she turned 18, she couldn't be in the juvenile place anymore, mm-hmm. so they... She went to a group home. Okay. And she did therapy Mm -hmm. there until her sentence was done. Why did they choose a group home and not prison? Like, I don't understand. Like, so she served her time from 12 to 18 in uh, a juvenile center. Right. But then once she was 18, why didn't she go to prison? I think that they felt that she could be rehabilitated because she was so young when it happened. Okay. And the her remaining sentence, she did serve out. And if she 
um, doesn't commit, like stays off police radar. Okay. When she turns 23. Okay. Which has already happened. Right. It'll be all expunged from her record. So she's changed her name. She's out in the world. And no one knows. The... No one knows. She's in an unknown location, unknown name. We don't know where she is. Which is actually really scary to think about because she's just walking around out there. Yeah, I mean, I get that people are like, well, she was 12 when it happened, but she was part, she was the sole reason why it happened. I mean, it's not like. And she wanted it to happen. Right. It's not like she got steamrolled into this. Right. That that bugs me too, but she was so young. I don't know if she really understood the gravity of what she did. Well, now she has to live with what she did. So I did read that the judge said to her to now live her life and become the person that her parents could be proud of. And I think that angered a lot of people because... She murdered them, and now you're telling them to be the person. Yeah, you're telling her to be the person that her parents would be proud of. It just her. it felt yeah. like like the judge was diminishing the all the pain that right. she just did. D- is there anything out there that says that like her mom's family or her dad's family talks to her, or is she? No, it doesn't say anything, eh? Okay. No, I I don't know if they would. I don't know. I mean, I guess there are probably some people on either side of the family that are like, you know, she was brainwashed by this 23-year-old. She was only 12 yeah. years old. She didn't know what she was doing. I mean... I can almost understand that, though. Yeah. I, I mean, she's not my family, so I can understand other people in her family thinking that. I don't know if that would be my position if it happened. I think the hardest part is um, finding out that she killed Jacob. I think right. that, for me as a family member, to find out that she killed her eight-year-old brother. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe it. Even if it came out in court, right? they could have thought, well, she just took the fall for him or something, right? I mean, like, all the information that's out there really is about Jeremy. Yeah. She, like, when you read the information, she takes a back seat to it, even though for me, I would much rather hear center. her story yeah, she's than his center. story. Yeah. So I don't know if her if she's denied it. I don't know, because right. all I could find out was Jeremy's story. Yeah, that which makes sense. I don't think his defense was a very good one. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. And so no. he'll he's serving time still. He's serving time still. Yes. Okay. That's the case of Canada's youngest convicted multiple murderer. Thanks for joining us. Please press subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts so people can find us easier. Also follow us on Instagram at sisters.coffee.and.crime and on Twitter at sisters underscore crime. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Christina and Sandra. Talk soon.